Hello and welcome to the Harvard EdCast, a series of conversations with thought leaders in the field of education from across the country and around the world. I'm your host, Matt Weber, and today we're going to have a frank and brutally honest look at American education, and we're here with the author of the new book, The Allure of Order, High Hopes, Dash Expectations, and the Troubled Quest to Remake American Schooling. He is an assistant professor of education at the Harvard Graduate School of Education and also a former professor of mine, so if the questions aren't good, uh, it's really his fault. And yes, that's me not being accountable. Welcome to the EdCast, Jal Mehta. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so, Jal, the title of your book, obviously, High Hopes, Dashed Expectations. You've written op-eds recently, Why American Education Fails. Another one, Teachers, Will We Ever Learn? Is it clear to us that you're pretty, you know, you're mad as hell and you're not going to take it anymore? Um, well, there's a there's a fine line between trying to uh, honor the good work that's going on out there uh, with a lot of teachers um, and thinking about what it would take to create really systemic improvement. So I grew up in Baltimore. Baltimore's a really divided city, as you probably know. Um, and um, the opportunities that uh, some kids in Baltimore had and the opportunities that other kids in Baltimore had were just radically different. And so what I'm interested in thinking about is how we could uh, take the system we have and make that so that in 5, 10, 15 years from now, uh, that would not be the case. And I think that that will require kind of whole-scale uh, reform. And uh, so I do not get to title my uh, pieces and sometimes have uh, little tiffs with editors who are, are trying to... Uh, drum up eyeballs for the for the pieces but they are right to uh to 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 capture the fact that i do think that we need some large-scale changes your book is is really fascinating in the sense that it takes a very historical perspective of where education reform has been in the past where we are now and where we're kind of going and you mentioned uh sort of repeating our own mistakes talk about the three times we've sort of tried to look at rethinking and remaking american education sure so uh, the school system was created about a century ago in the progressive era, and the dominant ideas at the time were, uh, they came from Taylorism, so the idea, the model was the factory, and the idea was that if we could just sort of set the right ends, create enough incentives for teachers, uh, that the system would improve and students would get what they needed. Uh, and if you look at the, you know, the editorials written by in the teacher magazines in 1912, they say, you know, too much testing, not enough, uh, you know, we're not capturing the creativity of learning. It's really like all of the same stuff. It's 1912. Uh, 1912, <laughs> yes. A hundred years later. Uh, it's really a lot of the same stuff. Um, so I argue in the book that... Um, the sort of the core of the problem is that um, we have people who are far away from classrooms trying to exert pressure, and they think that if they exert pressure, practice will improve. But teaching is very difficult, and it's not easy to standardize, and more importantly, it's not easy to improve. And so the kind of thesis of the book is that uh, the inability of uh, teachers and the teaching force to develop a strong profession uh, that basically kind of weak profession leads to wildly unequal results when coupled with high levels of poverty, highly decentralized country, uh, which in turn leads policymakers to intervene. You know, so if you're a policymaker in Detroit or Cleveland or Baltimore, or Chicago, and you look out and, you know, 
50, 60 percent of the kids are graduating from high school, you're going to try to intervene. But if the way that you intervene is by raising the stakes, then the very people who you need to implement your reforms, the practitioners, are going to be angry with you. And that that's kind of the spiral we're in, this sort of spiral of mistrust between policymakers and practitioners. And that's what we need to get out of if we really want to improve the system. And you mentioned that teachers, they're sort of resistant to top-down mandates. And, you know, a lot of the policymakers are far detached. And I remember taking from, from your class just how much you emphasize always the importance of professionalization and how the teaching profession is a sort of semi-profession. Explain a little bit more about that and what is it that will take uh, America to actually get around making this a real pure profession? See, you learned a lot I in did. my class. I was listening. That's fantastic. I took your class in order to be good about the EdCast That's fact. fantastic. Um, so professions have uh, generally have a knowledge base, which, uh, root, uh, which is the root uh, of their expertise. Um, and then uh, they train people in that knowledge base, and then they have some sort of professional standards that uh, guide ongoing work. So you can see this in things like uh, medicine and law, the famous ones, but even in things like, you know, airplane pilots, say. Um, and so the key is that um, people sometimes are some, sometimes think that if you are trying to develop knowledge, you're sort of uh, reducing teachers' autonomy or discretion and so on. But I really think it's quite the opposite. If we go back to the airplane example, like each time you land a plane, it's going to be a little different. Like the weather will be different. The runways are of different lengths, et cetera. But you're doing that within a kind of set of norms with a set of tools that sort of explain how you would do that. And so I guess the, the argument about teaching is that uh, it's still much more kind of highly individualistic and idiosyncratic than that, that there are a lot of really great teachers out there, but essentially they have mostly had to figure it out on their own. Most teachers say that the kind of uh, training they get in their teacher preparation programs of all sorts uh, was not that useful once they actually get into the classroom. Um, and so um, so that's what we have. We basically have sort of a non-system of training teachers. And so what we see is um, some teachers really figuring it out in great ways and other teachers really struggling. And uh, that's one of the problems that I'm trying to uh, help work on. So we've talked about a lot of the problems in, in the book, The Allure of Order, High Hopes, das Dashed Expectations, and the Troubled Quest to Remake American Schooling. Uh, does it offer some of these solutions that we're looking for? And I guess we'll start from the macro perspective, looking at No Child Left Behind, Race to the Top, some of the policy-making decisions. And then we'd love to hear your thoughts on what can the, the listener of this podcast do tomorrow or today as a parent, as a teacher, as a, someone who's interested in education reform? Um, what can they do to help fix uh, American education in the way that you're detailing? Sure. So uh, just on the policy level first, just to sort of pick up right where I just left off, um, if the problem is... Um, the problem is sort of lack of professionalization. That's something we could work on. We could raise the standards by which teachers, uh, for entering teachers, we could have, um, I'd like to see um, programs that connect the teacher preparation part, which is generally the first year, and the induction part, which happens in the, uh, the second two years. Um, Boston Teacher Residency, which I'm doing some work with, has this model of kind of creating schools, which are teaching hospitals, which train people how to teach. Um, so there's a lot of things you could do, create career ladders, let uh, more advanced teachers mentor newer teachers. And so there are a lot of possibilities along uh, those lines. So that's sort of one uh, bucket of stuff. Uh, second bucket of stuff, probably not surprisingly, has to do with poverty. Uh, schools continue to be kind of highly unequal by uh, race and class. Uh, and there have been 
a range of examples through the years of um, social agencies and schools working together to uh, try to take care of students' needs both during school and after school. Uh, and those things tend to get dichotomized in the debate. Is it really schools or is it really out of schools? It's clearly both and clearly like sensible policy would tie those things together. Um, so at the policy level, uh, there are a fair number of things that uh, we could do, and a number of things I've described are things that other uh, countries do or that you can see in places in particular states and cities and so on. So it's not like there aren't uh, examples. Uh, in terms of your uh, listeners and what uh, they could do tomorrow, um, I think there are a lot of things they could do. I mean, uh, one thing to do is to... Uh, try to find out whether your um, whether your child is essentially on track to go on to whatever kind of post-secondary credential you think uh, would be good for them. So, like for example, there's research out there which shows that if you don't take uh, algebra by eighth grade, you're unlikely to be able to go to a four-year college. So, if you're the parent of a middle school kid, it's worth going to your school and just inquiring about which classes your kids are in, what's going to happen after the classes they're in, what 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 uh, will follow from that. Um, so there's a lot of uh, you can exercise a lot of agency, and I think one reason why um, some I think one reason why s some schools work really well is because parents, not in a kind of disrespectful way, you don't want to be the parent who's like always at the teacher's throat where they never want to see you coming, etc. But I think it's it's uh, parents have the right with their children to kind of respectfully inquire whether. Uh, the path that their child is on is likely to lead to the the outcome that they want. And I think that that's one of the kind of hidden pieces of cultural capital that uh, upper middle class parents know that uh, everybody should know. There's no reason why the sort of rules of the game shouldn't be kind of transparent to everyone. Jal, where can people get the book? And then is this book for anyone interested in education reform? Is it geared towards a specific sector? Uh, uh, you know, how, how can we buy this? Uh, so, uh, as they say, like uh, anywhere that books are sold, uh, probably the best place to get it is from Amazon. Um, I think the book is for um, the um, people who are interested in a kind of take on the education reform debate, which isn't uh, kind of totally kind of polarized and predictable. So like I say, like, if you think that like Michelle Rhee is right about everything, then you'll probably be disappointed because I think she's too invested in testing and teacher evaluation. And if you think that sort of Diane Ravitch is, has it right because it's all these charters and these corporate reformers, well, there are actually some good charter schools out there as well as some bad ones. So uh, on a lot of these kind of issues, uh, I try to kind of deconstruct the dichotomies and kind of put forward a kind of sensible way forward. And also, if you want to um, to sort of step back, and I feel like we often debate things in pretty narrow terms, like no child left behind, did test scores go up or down? And I'm trying to say, like, look, like this is a way that we do school reform in America, and we've been doing it for 100 years. So um, I would imagine if uh, your uh, listeners are uh, as thoughtful as you, um, that uh, there w should be some folks out there who are uh, interested in sort of stepping back and looking at the whole picture. And that's what I try to do in the book. 
Joel Meadow, the author of The Allure of Order, High Hopes, Dash, Expectations, and the Troubled Quest to Remake American Schooling. Buy this at Amazon. Not just because I told you, but just because it's a great book. And on Twitter, we pull some things that are often said, and, and we got this today. Uh, quote, one of the most even, balanced education op-eds op I've read in a long time from HTC's Joel Meta. Um, People are loving all over the internet, y'all. You're everywhere. You're in the New York Times. You're all over the place. And I'm hopeful that this book continues to, to share your message in such a powerful way. Yep. I hope we, uh, we get lots of chances to talk about it. And uh, from the headlines, you're not so mad as hell, but you're, but you're definitely rattling the cages a little bit. And uh, we're, we're, we're lucky as a sector to have you. Thanks, man. Clearly not necessarily most uh, objective journalism from me, but I'm a, I'm a fan. Uh, this is the Harvard EdCast, a production of the Harvard Graduate School of Education. I'm your host, Matt Weber. Thank you kindly for listening. The Harvard Graduate School of Education, working at the nexus of practice, policy, and research.